Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. source of all things world wondering stardom right here on the podmania podcasting network i'm your host rob good and i'm joined as always by the independent wrestling genius that is matt turner matt how are you i am fantastic rob you handsome devil you how are you doing on this lovely day <laughs> not too bad not too bad it might be nice where you are at the moment matt but uh, we are on the tail end of a storm i can't remember which one it is storm mary or something um so we have lots of fallen trees and rain and just general misery but you know what we've had a stardom show that has brightened up my week what about you how are you doing it's raining a little bit here, but we're supposed to, in about eight to ten hours, we're supposed to get a storm uh, as well. So it might be uh, might be a day off work and a day off school for uh, for the daughter tomorrow. So that would mean uh, more time to catch up on comics and wrestling. So we'll see. We shall see how. Uh, you can never depend on the weathermen around here. You know, they're always inconsistently consistent. So. Absolutely. The only thing they're consistent with is their inconsistencies. I mean, there was that famous one in Britain where they're, a weatherman came onto the TV and was like, we are absolutely not going to get a tornado. Don't worry, it's definitely not going to happen. And then obviously, sure enough, a tornado came and ripped through one of the cities. So uh, yeah, uh, I don't think I'd trust a weatherman if uh, he told me the world was circle. So um, other than that, though, uh, obviously we're here to talk about Nagoya Supreme Fight, the first stardom pay-per-view of 2022. Before we kick into everything else, Matt, what were your overall thoughts on this pay-per-view? So solid. I mean, we're going to go, me and you, I was texting you as I was watching this yesterday, and I just saw this um, maybe about 
15, 16 hours ago, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. So we were kind of going back and forth. And, and uh, we'll let the listeners in on some of the texting that we, me and you were going back and forth because it was generally cracking up. I was literally on my couch laughing, and I thought my wife and my daughter were going to have me committed as I'm sitting there by myself just laughing at the text conversations <laughs> we were having. But, no, this was, uh, this was a solid, uh, solid pay-per-view to, uh, you know, like as you said, it's the first one. I thought everything was really, you know, everything was good. Everything made sense. There were some absolute bangers here. I thought the match, the way the match order was, was absolutely perfect. And uh, I'm, you know, and obviously there's a lot of angles, few, couple, few angles here that it's you're kind of scratching your head in a good way, saying, okay, now what are they going to do here? Like, what are they doing with that? Oh, they're they're bringing prominence in. Let's what, what's going to possibly happen there? And and we didn't get the mystery person that uh, we thought we were going to get as well. And uh, I think I know the reason why for that but uh yeah i guess we'll uh we'll get right into it yeah absolutely i mean there's loads of stuff to talk about in terms of the pay-per-view and don't forget this is a pay-per-view where ordinarily after a title match we see another person challenge and we didn't have any of that in any of the title matches here so it's left things very very open-ended now just a couple of things before we do kick into our review of nagoya's supreme fight and um, we're not going to be talking about uh, the first of february corican show the continuation of the new year stars obviously our patrons will get this episode on friday um everyone else on the free feed will get this on sunday and as we're recording on the third it's just it wasn't feasible to watch this in time to record so we're going to record that and then put it out next week, basically. Um, Speaking of our Patreon, uh, I just want to remind everyone that we have got a competition that we are going to be running when more information has been released about the Cinderella tournament. Matt, do you just want to briefly recap what we're doing with that? Absolutely. Once the Cinderella tournament starts, and I know they announced the dates, and forgive me, I think it's uh, the first week of April. Um, I don't know. Do you have the dates over there, Rob? You do. You do your homework better than I do. Uh, at the moment, uh, I actually don't have it up, but I do believe <laughs> it is the first week in April. So what we're going to do is, once the brackets are announced, now the only thing they announced was the dates and the fact that it's going to be the largest field uh, in the history of the Cinderella tournament. Once all the participants are announced, and if you are a Patreon member, which you can subscribe for as little as a dollar, what you do is you have to get your prediction into either me or Rob on who's going to be in the finals. And who is going to win? And what? What if you are correct? Once the Cinderella tournament is over, I will mail you a T-shirt of our new design. And if you haven't seen our new design yet, it is uh, Mayu Itani doing the moonsault in her uh, red championship gear. I will mail you a T-shirt at my own cost. Uh, again, if you obviously you have to, you know, have the finals right with the winner, and it has to be in before the Cinderella tournament starts. And if we have twenty-five or more people that enter the tournament. And if you do get it right, not only will I mail you a T-shirt, but you will also get Rob's book, Living the Dream, Stardom's 10th Anniversary, in review. If you want the uh, the ebook or the hardcover like I have, I will mail you those two completely at my cost. So if you're on the fence on joining the Patreon, uh, first of all, if you are on the Patreon, we thank you. And if you're on the fence on joining the Patreon, all this is a dollar a month, and you can get your, you might be able to win yourself a T-shirt, and you might be able to self win yourself a a fancy book that is uh, that I literally pick up almost uh three or four times a day so um i know rob is probably going to have some sort of uh graph or something or uh excel spreadsheet or something fancy once that comes about but that's basically 
again, kind of just wetting the, wet the beak there a little, giving you an idea of what we're going to do. So if you're on the fence about it, it only costs you a dollar and you could enter in this contest. And, and if we have a good response, which I feel like we're going to do, I think this is something that we'll be doing, uh, you know, on and on more because I think it just makes it makes it even that more fun, you know, interact with the fans like that. Absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned it before that we'll, we're thinking about doing this for the five star as well. Um, in terms of the Cinderella tournament, uh, it begins on April the 3rd, continues on April 17th, and then the finals are on April 29th at Otaward City Gymnasium, where they held the final of the five star last year and Tokyo Dream Cinderella, of course. So they're carrying on with the three day format. Of course, like Matt said, we are going to be having um, the biggest ever Cinderella field so once the brackets are announced it's going to be interesting to break that down and obviously once we've got everything in place we'll put some sort of Google Forms up or something like that for you to access that um in terms of our patrons honestly we we cannot thank you enough and I just want to give them a shout out uh Joseph Usher, Rob Jones, Niagara Driver, John Irwin, Velkage Bracker, Tom, Ed BC, Brandon Neal, Emerson Stone, Alex Tremaine, IWEP Network, Mike, Spike SP, and then our brand new patrons, Jeff Baker, Doden Solar, Steve Kaklamanos. Again, Steve, I'm really sorry if I've mispronounced that. Please get in touch and let me know. And Colin Matthew. We cannot thank you enough for subscribing to our Patreon. If you are on the fence about joining, we've just dropped our third Patreon exclusive episode, which was our top 10 hidden gems of 2021 um so go and check that out that's for our red belt and our white belt tiers um but enough is enough let's kick straight in to this show the first pay-per-view like i said of 2022 it happened on the 29th of january uh from the aichi prefectorial gymnasium in nagoya Japan, we had an attendance of 1,306. So just a couple of stats before we head into the actual matches. Um, This is Stardom's first time in the Dolphin Arena in Aichi. Um, The average attendance in 2020, there's only been two promotions who ran it in 2020, and that was New Japan and Dragon Gate. Um, They could collectively had a average attendance of 1,989. So Stardom's attendance is a little bit below the average. Um, Dragon Gate, it was their Dead or Alive show, which is one of the biggest shows of the year after Kobo World uh, in May last year. They hit uh, 2,180. New Japan ran the venue five times last year, and it ranged from just over 2,000 for the new beginning in Nagoya to 1700 for the best of the super juniors 28 night four so make of that what you will obviously people have different opinions of where stardom standing is compared to the dragon gate shows and the new japan shows new japan are inherently a bigger company dragon gates dead or alive show is literally their second biggest show of the year so i'd take those stats with a with a pinch of salt but i was just interested to see where the attendance sort of fit in terms of that um also, and possibly bigger than that, was the fact that just before the show, um, Wakasukiyama, Mei Sakurai, and Tam Nakano were pulled from the card, apparently due to poor health. Um, it makes me believe that it's COVID-related. Um, I haven't seen anything confirming that, but I am sort of assuming with them all being Cosmic Angels, it just it makes sense for them all to be COVID-related. Um, and then the card was changed accordingly, Matt. 
Yeah, I uh, I know that you didn't want any spoilers. I, I, I went on Twitter first thing that morning, which usually by the time I get up and get going, usually the show's over. And that was the first thing I saw. And I think I texted you a picture and said, hey, this isn't, you know, I took a picture. I think Rossi sent something out saying that these three will not be on the show. We have to shuffle the card. I took a picture of it and I sent it to you and I said, hey, it's not a spoiler. And then, you you know, we both kind of were discussing back and forth that it was COVID related. And I was uh, trying to get on a plane to go to Japan just to make sure that Tam was OK. <laughs> uh, obviously, that's that's a joke, guys. <laughs> I was not. But, uh, you know, you always there's always a silver lining in certain things. Obviously, I was upset. You know, you're upset that those three aren't going to be there, especially Tam to, you know, for to be in that three way match just because there's so many different uh, outcomes that could have happened. And, the, you know, Tam, Mayu and obviously Julia, three fantastic workers. And you want to see that was going to happen. But then as you kind of take a step back and think, OK, well, Tam's not in there. We're going to have a singles match between Mayu, Mayu and Julia. They had an absolute banger at the five star last year. I believe it was on the second or third day. Uh, one of the best matches of the five star. And then kind of as that thought's going through my head, the match is finishing. And you're basically having everybody say, you know, four and a half star match, four and three quarters, five star match of the year contender, not only in stardom, but in wrestling as well. So you're just like. Well, I guess if the worst thing coming out of this is the fact that we get a match of the year contender and obviously all three of those girls recover from what we think is COVID, uh, that's pretty much not a bad uh, plan B. So, you know, unfortunately, we live in just uncertain circumstances, you know, stances, uh, you know, being around, you know, that many people, not only the locker room, but there was look how many people were in the show. Thir- thir- was the, what was the attendance route? 1,300? Uh, 1,306. So, yeah, just over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a heck of a crowd, so, I mean, that's a heck of a house. So you kind of just don't know what's going to happen, but we hope that all three of them, you know, get well and get well soon. So it's just like, yeah, you know, as 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 is always on the uh, the posters for independent wrestling and wrestling as well, on the bottom right-hand side, in very small print, card subject to change. Yeah, absolutely. And thank God, you know, everyone seems to be okay and hopefully we'll be seeing them sooner rather than later. Um, we opened with our pre-show five ba- five woman... Uh, sorry, sorry, my cat's jumped onto the desk, which has completely thrown me. Um, the five-way battle. Don't run in. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's gone full of winner tie. Um, and we had Momo Kogo winning the uh, pre-show battle royal in six minutes and 37 seconds via over the top row, last eliminating Ruwaka and Rina, um, also Saki Kashima and Fuki and Death were a part of that. Little bit surprising, Matt, that they gave Momo Kogo the win here. I thought it was good. You know, you're pushing her and obviously I'm just from the little I've seen on her, she's very passionate and I'm very big into that and a very big the fact that she's in Stars Group. Just really kind of two small notes I have here. I'm hoping that we get to see a Momo Kogo versus Saki match, like a one-on-one nice seven, eight-minute match. I think the two of them had really good chemistry from the little bit we had here. And then something else that I thought was uh, kind of noteworthy, the last thing that they show before they cut the camera and go to the next match is after Momo wins, she starts making her way up the rampway, and she kind of gets the rub from her teammates. Obviously, you know, you have the tag champs that she's that she's with, uh, at, you know, FWC, Hazuki, and Koguma, and uh, Mayutani, who's the stardom legend, the stardom icon. So I thought that was a nice little way to kind of end that, you know, quote-unquote segment. I mean, it's great that she won. It was basically a 4-1 handicap match. So she wins that. She gets the rub on a pre-show Battle Royal on a pay-per-view. And then at the very end, she gets the big congratulations from three people that are on top of the card. 
and that were, you know, in prominent matches in this card as well. So I thought that was a nice little, I don't know if anybody picked up on it or if it was something that was kind of supposed to happen. But to me, I kind of wrote that down as a note as uh, got the nice little thumbs up there from all three members of stars. And yep. I think that's good. I can only just help her out. <laughs> Absolutely. It's certainly a big rub to have it from Mayu, especially. Um, it seems like, sorry, that's, Stardom are really high on Momokogo. And, you know, we saw her debut against Yunagi, and we were both, you know, there was things that she could obviously improve on. I mean, she's still quite green, but I think this was a good result because, you know, you've got Oedatai literally being too Oedatai to win, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but ultimately, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is throwaway. You know, nobody's going to care that Momokogo won a pre-show battle royal against four I, I'm hesitant to use the word chump, but, you know, chumps from a weather tie. It's hardly top-level a weather tie. So, but ultimately, nice rub for Momokogo. Gives her that little bit of momentum going forward. A little bit sad that she's already won more matches than Wakasuki Armour, but there we are. Um, I didn't bother rating this one, Matt, because it was the pre-show. I gave it two stars, just in case if anybody cares. <laughs> <laughs> um, we move on to the main card then, and we go to the future of Stardom Championship match with Hannon, the champion, defeating a thankfully recovered Lady C with the Hannon special in five minutes and 56 seconds. This, for me, Matt, was a far cleaner match than the Dream Queendom match between Hannon and Rowaka. Yeah, I thought this was really good. Uh, they kept it simple. Everything made sense. Lady C throwing the big chops, including the Baba chop. Uh, she did a really good job, you know, using her sides to her advantage. A lot of back work, uh, which played into the finish. Because Hannah goes for the hand and special the first time. As soon as she hits it, she can't cover because she's selling the back. And she's doing a very good job selling after she hits a big move. And she's projecting to the crowd. And that was like almost like, you know, a little Mayo-esque. Mayuitani S. So I think, you know, we, we wax poetically of how fantastic Mayuitani selling, and we'll get into uh, later on about how fantastic she was in, in the co main event. But you can kind of see that some of the Mayuitani stuff is rubbing off on Hannah, and it just made the finish made that much more sense because then she wind up, you know, powering through and hits the Hannah special again. But I thought this was a really solid match. I gave this uh, three and a quarter stars. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, there was a great moment where Lady C hits this enormous choke slam, and Hannon grabs the ropes at literally the last possible second. I thought that was a really, really well-worked spot. Um, Hannon is improving all the time, and aside from one rough-looking uh, famouser, the rest of the match went incredibly smoothly. I think Lady C, again, is improving time and time and time again. Really, really impressed with this match. I was a, I was a little bit more down on it than you were. I gave it two and three quarters. I wasn't sure whether to give it three, but Overall, considering the future of the Stardom Championship is quite literally a building championship, a rookie championship, I think these two women put on a very, very good match for it. Um, unfortunately, that is overshadowed almost entirely as prominence come down to the ring. Now, for those who, like me, didn't know who prominence were. They'd heard the name, but basically they are previous ace-like figures. They're people like Risa Serra, um, Suzu Suzuki, uh, Kana Fujita, and Miyagi, and Kurumi. Uh, basically, they are a group of people, a group of wrestlers that left Ice Ribbon 
to form their own promotion, to do more deathmatch stuff, become freelancers and things like that. Um, so they came to the ring. They introduced themselves as the Joshi Puroresu Pure Hardcore Deathmatch Unit um, and then call out Julia. Now, Suzu Suzuki who is the red-haired one, um, she has history with Julia. They all have history with Julia. Obviously, Julia jumped ship in 2019 from Ice Ribbon. Um, but she was Julia's dojo roommate. So there is significant history between those two. And Julia makes a comment about prominence, about aren't you supposed to be happy with pro wrestling, which I thought was quite funny considering that's Ice Ribbon's tagline. Uh, so Suzuki slaps her, calls her Julia Sam, then changes her mind and calls her just Julia. Um, then says that Julia betrayed her when she left, that the place had fallen to pieces, and then bursts into tears and says, I trusted you. And I thought it was a really, really poignant, really well done promo. Um Julia tries to take credit for prominence leaving, but this incenses Risa Sarah, who's the blue-haired one, and she pushes Julia down, declares war for March at Sumo Hall. Um, she, Julia attacks, um, prominence grab her, Suzu's about to hit Julia with a hammer, but Tekla stops her, and DDM rush the ring to help. Um, it's interesting, well, it's a great angle, and I'm really, really excited to see where they go for this, especially if they do something hardcore uh, when it comes to the World uh, world Climax shows in March. Ice Ribbon taking a battering in this promo, though, Matt. Jesus. Yeah, really. But no, I thought this was really well done. And again, I don't know too many. I know Suzy Suzuki, just because you hear somebody that has the last name Suzuki, and you automatically think, you know, for me, Minoru Suzuki... But uh, I and obviously I know that she's big into death mats. I have a friend of mine who's actually over here in the states is a two time IW Mid South uh, queen of the death death match that I talk to on a daily basis. So uh, you know she'll talk about the death matches and I'll talk about uh, like you know really good hard striking wrestling. So that's how I kind of know that name. But I thought this was a really good way to introduce them. Obviously they're feuding with one of the top uh, factions in stardom. And kind of just, I kind of want to get your opinion on something, Rob, just kind of mm. just to play kind of maybe armchair booker, maybe just because this happens a lot over here in the States, is maybe I would have changed this up a little bit, because before they came out, after Hana won, Momokogo uh, announced that she wanted to wrestle for the future of Stardom title. So they were kind of having a little promo there, you know, very, uh, sh- you know, shaking the hands, obviously, they're in the, the same faction. And then what I thought what I what I would have done is then maybe Lady C grabs a microphone and says, you know, I'm going to build myself back up and I want a shot at the future of stardom title. And the three of them are in the ring and then prominence comes out and then jumps them. I think maybe that would have got a little bit more juice out of the squeeze. What do you think? Or, or am I just thinking too American over here with the with the jumping? No, I definitely think it would have been more impactful. I think the issue is obviously we've very, very recently done an angle like that with the Momo masks. Um and I think another angle where we get jumped and, you know, attackers and assailants, I think it's two in very, very quick succession. Um, it's a shame they've already done that because, like I say, having them lay out wrestlers and then call out Julia would have been slightly more impactful. But again, I'm, it works for me. I, I, I do like it. The thing for me now is 
I assume they're going to continue being freelancers. Obviously, that's why they left Ice Ribbon. But are they going to be their own faction in stardom? How often are we going to see them in stardom? Do we see some prominent uh, members feature in the Cinderella or the Five Star? You know, there's a lot of questions to be asked. And obviously, the only thing we know at the moment is that there's going to be some sort of war at Rio Goku. So an exciting time. Um, it was certainly something that took me by surprise. Um, obviously, I think this took the place of uh, the surprise that Sayakamatani was going to be talking about. But even so, really, really excited to see where this goes. We move on then to the second uh, map. Real, real, not oh, to interrupt you, Rob. No, I please. Gotta... Uh, what? Who, now, how many members of Prominence were there? There was five, right? Do I have that right? There's five, but one is out injured at the moment. Okay, so it's. it's uh, I'm assuming that the first match is probably a five on five. What five people? You know, if you're Rossi, if you're booking this, what five people from DDM are going to be on the DDM side? I would have Micah, Himika, Julia, obviously Julia, uh, Siri, and. I would go with Mariah, just because I think she's the heavier hitter between her and Tekla Natsapoy. Those are the five that I would put in. How about you? Um, I think Tekla's a shoe-in because she's just come from Ice Ribbon. It makes ah, sense. Good. And she was the first one to hit the ring for the save. Good yeah, point. Good exactly. Point. And, you know, she worships Julia, so it makes sense that, you know, those two would be in it. Um, for me, it would probably be Julia... We already know that the red belt champion is going to be defending on both nights. So let's, for argument's sake, say that that that's going to be Siori. Um, Yeah. Let's say... (sighs) Mike and Hemika. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. See, that's why I asked you. That's why why I asked you the big questions. You know what I mean? That's why they pay you the the big bucks, sir. Um, yeah, but either way, you know, they could do a five-on-five elimination match um, on the first night. Oh, no, um, Julie's on the first night fighting Suri, so it'll be on the second night. Um, but, spoilers. <laughs> but if they could do something like, I don't know, not maybe, maybe not go full death match, but certainly hardcore. Yeah, like a five-on-five, almost like relaxed rules and just have like a, almost like an away to tie style brawl, like ECW style. You know, I grew up two hours away from Philadelphia where you would always have these crazy ECW style six-mans or eight-mans or, or tag team matches that just brawled all over the place. And you're just, as the fan, as a fan, you're like, I don't know what to watch. Am I watching these two guys over here? Or am I watching New Jack jump off the balcony here? I don't know what to watch, but I'm having the time of my life. I think that's what they do. I think they just have a, just a wild 10 or 12-minute brawl that ends with Prominence getting the win. I think in the first match, Prominence has to win. You can't just bury them on the first match. No, and I know that obviously DDM are booked incredibly strong as a faction, but, you know, it would be interesting to see maybe a tackler eat the last pin or something like that. You know, obviously she's a connection with Ice Ribbon. She's probably Julia's best friend in that faction at the moment, so it makes sense for her to take the final pinfall. Um, I'd be very interested to see what they do. Obviously, we'll see a little bit more when it comes closer to the day. Um, match two then on this main card was a tag team match. Originally, this was supposed to be a singles match. Um, the Oeditai team of Starlight Kid and Momo Watanabe defeated the Queen's Quest team of Utami Hayashishita and Azumi with a brand new move from Starlight Kid, a Spanish fly that she seems to be calling the Eternal Foe in nine minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, Matt, what was your opinion of this? 
I really enjoyed it. Uh, this was really good. Azumi came out really like shot out of a cannon. I mean, she went right after Momo and had like 90 seconds in, she hits Momo with like the punk kick that like took her out. And she sold it real well. She hit it and she looked at Momo like, haha, I got you. And then she sh- sold it real well to the crowd. Uh, my biggest two, two complaints about the match is I wish it went a little bit longer, but I understand it's a pay-per-view. And there wasn't much. Utami really wasn't in the match. Everything she did made sense and was really good. She was super, super aggressive. And her and Momo had a really good uh, promo afterwards that obviously they're building to something. But uh, I wish Utami was in the match a little bit more. Both all the, uh, all the double teams, they were really good. And I know we talked about before the uh, before Momo left Queen's Quest of how well all four members of Queen Quest work. Obviously, the two tag teams were Momo and Izumi, Utami, and uh, and Saya as Aphrodite. But I'm watching this match. I'm watching the double teams that Utami and Izumi do. And I'm thinking, well, if they're going to keep Utami away from the heavyweight championship for a little bit just to cool her off because she was a part of it for over 400 days, I wouldn't mind seeing Utami and Izumi make a run for the, uh, the tag belts. And Momo and Starlight Kid as well. I mean, the tag division is really, really heating up in stardom, and I'm excited to see where it goes. But it was solid. I mean, this was all all, all killer, no filler. And, uh, yeah, we had a uh, a new finish. Uh, Starlight Kid with the Spanish fly that looked absolutely gorgeous. And Azumi eats another pin, which we kind of figured she would, just so they're just going to, I think they're tearing her down to build her back up. You know, we we, well, we all said once uh, we get towards the end of this year that Azumi's going to be a major, major player uh, in stardom. But, yeah, this was really good, solid. Uh, again, I just wish this had more time, but I understand why I rated this three and three fourth stars. Yeah, exactly the same rating for me, to be honest. Um, you know, there's a renewed aggression from Azumi in this match. Absolutely fantastic opening from Azumi and Momo, just highlighting some of the moves and reversals from the previous encounters, but also highlighting how much Azumi has grown but also how much more she still needs to grow. She's continuing with the high-speed stuff that Momo knows she's going to do. Like, she's up the aggression, but Momo can still read her. And then there was a beautiful moment where we had the mirror of the finish at Corican, where uh, Momo goes for the punt kick, misses, and Azumi hits one of her own. I thought that was a really nice one. Uh, Utami and Momo literally throwing each other around the ring with suplexes is great. And I literally had written in my notes for a long time, this is going to be the greatest exchange on the sh- on the card. And then Julia and Mayu beat it. Um, if I am being picky... I'm not a huge fan of the amount of ref bumps it took. It it got it got a little bit yeah. silly towards the end. They should have made this like a relaxed rules match, you know, because they I think they the tagline for this was like the grudge, and they should have just said we're gonna make this uh, relaxed rules where you can tag, but like we're not gonna p- put too much stuff on it. Yeah, because I can't I. I'm not a big fan of that too, where it's like they're constantly, you know, bumping the ref or they're distracting the ref. You know, when a way to tie does it from time to time, it makes sense. When the Bullet Club was first formed, it was something new that they didn't see in Japan, and now they're just absolutely just destroying it with the House of Torture. And this was, yeah, you're, you're right. It was a little bit, little bit too much. Um, we had a new tag finish from Momo and Starlight Kid. It was they were in position for the Magic Killer, and then Momo transitions into a Uranagi and Starlight Kid, it's a flatliner. And it looks absolutely incredible. They hit that just before, obviously, Starlight Kid hits the uh, Spanish fly. Do you think that Momo should have got another pin here? Surely have a, you know, 
once again one-up Azumi. I know that obviously they're building to a high-speed match between Azumi and Starlight Kid, so that does make sense, and obviously we'll talk about that once we've gone through this show. But would you have liked to have seen Momo get the victory, or are you not particularly bothered? I see your point, but the biggest bump of the match needs to be the finish, and the biggest bump and the biggest move of the match was the Spanish fly. Not unless she hits the Spanish fly, and then Momo's legal, and she just punts uh, Zumi's head off. But at the same time, you always want to end the match, especially a match like this, with the biggest bump and the biggest move. So I understand why they did it. Uh, to me, it's not it's not that much of a difference. But I kind of want to get your take on the post-match promo, where Momo tells you, Tommy, you don't have the red belt anymore. You're no use for me. So that's the first time since Momo has turned heel that she's mentioned the red belt. You think that they're planting the seeds for her at the end of uh, these two March shows for her to challenge the winner? Potentially. Um, my The only issue I have with Momo at the moment now is if she goes for the red belt, I feel like she needs to win it. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. Who, who she beats for that. If Julia takes the belt at World Climax, which obviously we'll talk about at the end of this show, then... I don't feel like Momo can possibly come out and beat her. I just, I don't see Julia who, you know, the company are incredibly high on, you know, they've pushed her to the moon. She hasn't had a red belt opportunity since a debut in 2019. So this is her first shot of the belt. If she wins that belt, she's holding it for a long time. She ain't holding it for one title defense. So do you have Siori beat Julia? and then have Siori lose the belt to Momo. After all, they have history early on in 2021. Or do you hold out on Momo? The only issue with that, of course, is that she loses a lot of the momentum that she's gained from destroying her own faction. The longer you wait for a title shot for Momo, the less heat it'll have behind it. And yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. I think that um, they need to get the belt on Momo as soon as possible. Don't forget Mayu is challenging for the belt as well. So you have like the most evil person in the company versus the, you know, the nicest person, you know, the, the angel of the company. So that's one dynamic you can go with as well. But I think that, uh, and, and maybe what they're doing too is, you know, obviously I think the end result's going to be you put the belt on Julia, just, you know, how much the company's invested in her, how well she, you know, she's always been really good, but ever since coming back from her injury with that match at Konami at the, uh, wrestle queendom, uh, Dream Queendom, she's been absolutely on fire. But at the same time, you're kind of poking the bear at what you're going to do with Utami. So if Momo gets the belt, which I think that's a smart thing, I think you need to get the belt on her soon. And this is taking nothing away against Sherry, but I think the money's in the chase. You have, who who beats Momo for the belt? Is it Julia? Or you have this already built-in story with Utami getting the belt back. And obviously Utami did great business as champion. So uh, I think it's a win-win situation but I think you just need to build to it. And I think you got to get that belt on Momo by no later than the end of April. I think as well, and this is really important, if Momo goes for the belt and then just loses again, then all this is for naught. She's back to yeah. square one. Yeah, you shouldn't even, you shouldn't even had her leave Queen's Quest. You should have just had, if that's what you're going to do, you should have just had her stay in Queen's Quest, put some people over, and then give her and Izumi a long tag title run. Yeah. yeah, that's that's that. It's almost like when I see these big these big faction changes. To me, it just reminds me of what went right 
so well with the NWO. Now, obviously, there's bigger stars. You know, Hogan, Hall, and Nash were bigger stars. But once that thing hit and it caught fire, they put the belt on Hogan right away. And you had, you know, the Big Show chasing, Luger chasing, Savage chasing. They brought Piper back, uh, Sting chasing, with all these people chasing. And it made WCW so much money. And I think that if they kind of almost like the old saying, copy an A, get an A, if they kind of go with that, but like the longer, yeah, exactly, the longer that they're waiting to put the belt on Momo, and if she challenges and loses, well, then what's the point? You kind of just buried the whole entire, you know, heel faction and Momo as well. I think as well, final thing on this, you've got to have a certain aura to be the wonder of stardom champion, for me, anyway. And, you know, Mayu has that aura. Utami has that aura. Suri certainly has that aura. Murder Pirate Julia has that aura. Now, since her heel turn, for me... Momo has that aura, but yep. again, you know, the big thing out of that is she is the only heel out of those people that I've mentioned. You know, Julia is technically a tweener. Suri is, you know, I think she tries to be a tweener, but she's just so lovable. She's a face. Mayu is the faciest of faces and Utami's a face. So you need a heel at the top of the card. Momo could Holy. be that heel at the top of the card. Um, but... We'll see where they go with it. We'll see where they go with it. We'll see what happens coming out of World Climax. Obviously, everything going into that is uh, is purely speculation. Um, let's head into match three then, which was for the vacant SWA Undisputed World Women's title, obviously after Suri dropped the belt. And it saw Tekla defeat Mina Shirakawa with the DDD in nine minutes and 58 eight seconds um i'm a big fan of tecla's new ring jacket even if the mask looks a little bit tacky aside from that matt what did you think of this match you know, the last two weeks me and you were kind of going back and forth about this match we kind of had uh, reservations whether you know with the build-up and all the wacky stuff uh, right from the get-go the, the two of them come out look at stars you know tecla with the ring jacket mina has just an absolute ton of charisma and this, this match, to me, hit. I was I thoroughly enjoyed this match. They did what they needed to do. This match was completely different than everything on the card, and that's that's a good thing. It didn't go too long. I think if it went, like, 45, uh, 50, or maybe a minute, you know, or 40, 45 seconds longer or a minute longer, I thought it would have been too long. But also, I thought if they would have shaved off, you know, 30, 40 seconds, it would have told the, the, the total story. So I think the timing they got was absolutely perfect. The psychology was there. It was good back and forth. Everything made sense. The timing was really good. Ring positioning was really good. All the little stuff that I look for that make a good match great and a great match excellent. And I thought this was absolutely solid. Uh, now, it's not going to you know, win any awards at the end of the year for match of the year. But for the between the entrances and what happened at the end for the 14, 15 minutes that this was on my screen, I was very entertained. And I thought this was, again, for a match that I kind of had reservations about. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, both of them came off looking like stars, and I think that you're going to probably see a rematch somewhere here down the line. Solid match. I gave this one three and a quarter stars. Once again, we are really in sync. Three and a quarter stars from me as well. Um, these two have a good connection, which makes me think that we haven't seen the end of this, similar to you. Um, there was an absolutely outstanding opening exchange. Um, you know, it takes a lot to get... You know, I know that we talk about Mina's poses and Tekla's poses, but to get that pose 
in sync as well as they did after doing what they did. It takes a lot of timing, and I thought they did that fantastically. Mina's chest by the end of this match is absolutely blistered to hell. It looks like a pound of mincemeat. Tekla goes to town with those chops. But genuinely, once we, you know, dispel some of the comedy, you know, chasing each other around the ring and things like that, it's actually a a decent match. It's a well-wrestled match. I mean, for a start, Tekla transitions out of the glamorous driver far better than Tam did at um, not Kawasaki Super Wars, Tokyo Super Wars. So, genuinely, a very, very well-wrestled match. There was a top rope implant, DDT, second one in the middle of the ring. Um, but she's actually selling her frustration, Tekla, this is, a lot better than she's sold anything else since she's been on the roster. Yes, we had the laughter to start off with. Fine, don't care. That's her character. As we got into this match and Mina keeps kicking out, you can see visible frustration in Tekla's face. And that's great. We're getting a little bit of growth from that character, which is what we were so worried we weren't going to get. There's a great moment where Tekla works Mina's arm and then DDTs the arm and locks it in a Kimura. It was like it was such a lovely spot. I absolutely loved that. Actually, it was a spot that was stolen for the semi-main as well. Overall, I think the right person won. Um, until we're sure that international travel is going to be fine and can be done regularly, I think it's right to put the SWA belt on a Gaijin. Obviously, at the moment, the only person who really has a claim to that is Tekla. So, all in all, the right result... Three and a quarter stars, far better than we anticipated, Matt. Yeah, I'm glad. And I, I know Minu even said, you know, we're, we're hoping we're wrong. We're hoping our, we're wrong. And, uh, hey, we were, I, you know, I'm not, I'm man enough to admit when I was wrong. And I was glad that I was wrong because these two, uh, I think these two are going to play a big role in Stardom's future. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Um, we move on to match four then, the Goddesses of Stardom Championships with the champions, Fukuoka Double Crazy, which, of course, is Hazuki and Kogama, the champions, defeating DDM Mai Himi, which is Micah and Himika, with a roll-up, Kogama rolling up Himika in 13 minutes and 27 seconds. Now, the biggest speculation heading into this match, Matt, was what Micah's method of combating the hypnotic bear dance would be. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm still not entirely sure. Oh, to give, to give, uh, to give you uh, listeners a little behind the scenes, uh, look at, <laughs> at, uh, so what had happened was, so the, obviously the lady C match was first, no mask. And then Azumi Tommy came out, no mask. And I text Rob and I said, huh? Cause I know that he finished the show before I did. I said, Queen's Quest, no mask with a thumbs down, because I just think that adds a completely different aura to their gimmick and the entrance. So by the time Rob texts, so Rob doesn't text me back. So literally, as Hazuki, as they're, do, as they're getting the matches, this match is getting ready to start. I write down in my notes, no bear gimmick, no flirty Hazuki, question mark, question mark. I don't even put my pen cap on. Rob texts me back and says, yeah, no mask, no flirty Hazuki. What the heck's going on with this show? That's how well we're, you know, we're, I don't know how many thousands of miles away. That just shows you how in sync, and I don't mean the 90s pop group in sync, how in sync me and Rob are. I'm like, I'm, I, and I text him back. I said, I literally just wrote down no flirty Hazuki. I said, I didn't even put my pen cap back on, and you text me. What's up? What, 
What timing? What timing, sir? Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, all I could see from this was that Mike uh, attempted to hypnotize a very, very stony-faced Hazuki. Um, so whether it was her plan to try and hypnotize Kogama's friend, I don't particularly know. It, it was a flawed plan, is basically what we're saying here. But aside from the flawed plan that was Micah's attempt at uh, sidestepping the Bear Dance, this was another great match, Matt. Yeah, it was solid. They're really great teams, great double teams from all four. Everything made sense. I, I talk about it all the time. But Hazuki, when she goes for the cover and she doesn't hook the leg, and I, whenever I see someone doesn't hook the leg, I always think of Tracy Smothers when he's like, hook the leg, man. <laughs> but uh, obviously to set up that cross face, and she did it twice. And there's no there's no daylight in her cross face. The way she transitioned that cross face is absolutely fantastic. But uh, these four worked really well, well together. I thought the finish was brilliant. I mean, Himika just destroys, destroys poor Koguma with that huge lariat. And even leading up to it, Koguma throws like a Takayama-style German suplex. Like, holy jeez. And Mike and Himika, they're, they're, they're no Natsupoi. You know, they're no, you know, Hana Arena. They're, uh, they're the, you know, two bigger people on the, on the roster. And the way that she just throws that German suplex. But she got a receipt back from Himika, just destroys her with the stiffest lariat I think I've ever seen in stardom. And then she goes for the cover and she just gets rolled up on like a flash pin. So I thought that was a, uh, a pretty clever finish. I gave this one three and a half stars. Now, just the only thing is you had a flash pin here and then you had a flash pin when FWC beat ALK for the tag belts. I think that they, their next title defense, and not to spoil anybody hasn't seen the show from the first because they uh, announced who the next tag title defense is. I think your next tag title defense, it needs them to be a more dominant, not dominant, but like definite win, like a Hazuki Brain Buster or the top rope splash from Koguma. Yeah, I agree with you in that. I mean, the problem we had here was you don't particularly want either member of DDM to seem weak. So, you know, it was similar with ALK. Yes, have them lose the belts, but Suri's the red belt champ and Julia's Julia. So you don't particularly want either of them taking the pin, whereas a flash pin, especially after Himika basically beheads Kogama, um, it didn't feel like Himika looked any sort of weaker from taking that pinfall. And Jesus Christ, that that sell that Kogama did for the Lariat and then landed super high on her neck. It was it was a proper arse-clenching moment. You think, oh my God, Jesus. And then she just rolls up. You're like, oh, she's fine. How? How is she fine after taking that? Um, you mentioned that amazing suplex um, from Kogama. The strength that Kogama has, she's quickly becoming one of my favorite things in stardom. She's so good. And for me, you know, I love Hazuki. I love Micah. I love Himika. But Kogama at the moment, just every time she wrestles, seems to be on this level. And she can mix the comedy with the great wrestling so seamlessly that, yeah, I think she's great. Um, weird to see that Himika goes full-on rage at the end and beats up the referee. Oh, I must have missed that. I I think I was... What was I doing? I think I was finishing something up for work. I think the match ended, and I must have missed that. She beat up the ref? She pushed the referee for counting three, then sort of Micah held her back, and then she got out of the ring and can, continued to push the referee and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it seemed really weird. Just a very, very weird way of doing it. But even so... You know, that's the way they chose chose to go. I'm still wondering where this Himika single shot is coming from, you know, for the belt. 
I don't know. I think one way or another, I think we'll get there. Yeah. We have got that big show in February, but with Suri saying her next title defense isn't going to be till March, I see the white belt headline in that uh, Cinderella Journey show. And we've had that announced, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, Yeah, so I gave it three and three quarters, actually. I really liked the match. I thought the chemistry that all four women had was really, really good. Like, say, Kogama at the moment, you know, if we were to stop everything and we were to do our Stardom Cast 2022 awards right now, Kogama's my wrestler of the year. Hasn't had a miss, whether it be an undercard tag, a championship match, a singles match. Hasn't had a miss. I think she's doing tremendous work. She's the most over. She's by far the most. I know we're in the clap crowd, but nobody gets the crowd going like she does. I mean, it's the way her connection with the crowd with the whole bear dance. Again, on paper, it sounds funny. If you would have told me a year ago, a guy who loves, you know, Minoru Suzuki and Katsuhiro Shibata that, <laughs> oh, the person that you're really going to enjoy in stardom is this person that does this bear dancing gimmick. And it's like she does it. It's funny. It works. And then she drops you on your head. So... <laughs> Yeah, those suplexes are so, so impressive. Um, Anyway, so I gave that three and three quarters. Another match that I gave three and three quarters, and this might be the first time me and Matt disagree, was match five. The Wonder of Stardom Championship match with Sai Kamatani, the champion, defeating Yunagi Sayaka in her first title defense with the Phoenix Splash in 18 minutes and 47 seconds. Now, Matt... The first sir. question I'm going to ask you, is yes, this sir. the best Unagi singles performance? I had, uh, again, me and Rob were texting back and forth, and I told him I was a little disappointed in this match. Now, I don't, obviously, I'm a big fan of both. And in the immortal words of Roddy Roddy Piper, anybody that answers the bell, I have the ultimate respect for. If this match was just a normal match or a match for the five star, I think I would have rated it a little bit higher. You have to understand the dynamics that are going in this match. Number one, it's for the Wonder of Stardom title. It's for the white belt. It's a big, big deal. Now, Saya just won it, and probably, I think we'll both agree, against Tam, her best match. And an absolute banger of a match. Now, this belt has main evented shows before that the red belt has been defended on. Hence, the Budokan show. Uh, Tam and Julia were over Utami and, and Saya. So it's a, it's a big deal. Now, I'm not going to go into the lineage of the white belt. I, I don't have the time for that. However, there is a book out there that will go over the lineage of that belt and other belts. It's entitled <laughs> Living the Dream, Stardom's 10th Anniversary <laughs> Review. Rob, can you please tell our listeners where they can get this book? Uh, Lulu and Amazon uh, available in all countries. People are going to get sick of this book. <laughs> I think it's I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Anywho, okay, so you have – okay, now get back on course. So you have that. You also have the fact that it's on pay-per-view. So you kind of want, you have your secondary belt. You want to give the viewers just a little bit more. You have that. You have the fact that this is Saya's first title defense. So you need to set this off with an absolute banger. You have to have something that's going to set the table. Uh, Not only do you have that, but then you have some people that I'm assuming have probably never seen stardom up until Wrestle Kingdom. Either that were in the crowd or that watched on New Japan World or got the pay-per-view on Fight. And the person that came off looking the best in the starter match was Saya. Perfectly clean uh, Star Crusher, perfectly clean Phoenix Splash. So you have all that going in, and you have Saya really on the back end of this match. Like if this was, this was like a 60-40 match for Yunagi. And it's not saying Yunagi's offense isn't believable. But you having a first title defense 
Now, it'd be one thing if it was like Tam getting a rematch, or it was Utami, or a Mayu, or like a really good striker like a, a Siri or a Hazuki. That I can understand. But for your first title defense that you're on the back end of this match against somebody that's a little bit lower on the card from you, I and the finish, I just thought came off as sloppy. I thought the star, I thought the way they got in the star crush, it was really good. I thought she hit it sloppy, and then obviously the Phoenix splash, she basically double need um, Yunagi on the way down. So I think even people that were watching the match at the Tokyo Dome saw this flawless star crusher and this flawless Phoenix splash. And not only that, but this is somebody that you're building to eventually have, probably have a match with Kota Ibushi and probably having a match with whoever the mystery person is who we're starting to think is Kari, San, Kari Sane, Kari Hojo. Again, I, don't, I didn't dislike this match. I gave it three and a quarter stars. I just thought that you know this would have been closer to four stars for me. I was just a little bit disappointed in it. I see where you're coming from, to be fair. Um, but I enjoyed... You expect Saya to have these perfectly executed matches. You know, these athletically pleasing, aesthetically pleasing matches. But Tam said you've got to embrace that dirty side. Okay, that ugly side if you want to be a champion. And here she had to embrace that ugly side. And I'm not making excuses for that Phoenix Splash. That looked horrendous to take, and I really feel sorry for you, Nagi. But, you know, that could explain why it was more strike-heavy. Because there was an intensity to this match. Like, you, Nagi bought the fire in this match, and Saya rose to that level. Um, the amount of STOs from Unagi, you know, from the top rope on the outside, she tried everything. Now, was this the bomb burner that clearly, you know, a lot of people were expecting? No, not quite. However, for me, it wasn't disappointing. It was something different. I understand that, you know, you want that title run to start off with a bang. Completely understand that. But do you want to throw that away on a show that has got Mayu versus Julia and a red belt defense? That's the question you've got to ask. So, have it against you, Nagi. You know, that defense that she's definitely going to win, but can still put on a good match with. You, Nagi, I personally think this is her best individual performance. I think she looked a million dollars. I think she acted like a million dollars. I think there were some moves that came off really, really, really well. I do think, though, and this is a... It's not a nitpick for me. It's just it's how I would have liked to have done it. I think the roll through Star Crusher should have been the finish because we've avoided Saya using the Phoenix Splash all the times, and this is no offense to you, Nagi, at all. But Saya, up until this point, has hit the start the Phoenix Splash four times, five times now, obviously with the title victory. Does she need to hit it every single time? No, it's it's her nuclear option. For me, that roll through Star Crusher was enough adaptation and looked cool enough to be the finish. However, it's great rub for Yunagi. You know, when they faced off at I believe it was Yokohama Cinderella in summer. Um no, sorry, Yokohama Cinderella in spring in April last year. Don't forget Sayakamatani beat Yunagi with the Star Crusher. So, you know, it's a show of growth for you, Nagi, to be able to kick out of it. I just would have liked it to be the finish. Um, I did give it three and three quarters, um, but I can see your points, Matt. 
Um, is yeah, we're, we're only half. We're only half a star off again. I th- I didn't think it was a terrible match. I thought it was good, but for the fact that it's for the Wonder of Stardom tie- Championship, Bia's coming off her best. Uh, well, I think her best match ever. Tam's probably best match since she won the belt. You know, they're coming off, and I'm not. You know, it's not fair to compare Yunagi to Tam. Tam is just on a complete. You know, my love for her, regardless of Tam. <laughs> Tam just um, she's on a main main event level, and Yunagi's not just there yet. But I just thought this match would have been a little bit better. Do I want to see a rematch down the road? Absolutely. Do I think that they'll have a what I think will be a better match? Absolutely. Maybe somebody tweaked a knee, or somebody got tired, or something happened in the match where, to me, it seemed a, 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 just a little bit off. And again, maybe maybe that was just me. We move on then to our semi-main event, which was the number one contendership match for the World of Stardom Championship. Now, initially, this was supposed to be a triple threat between Tam, Julia, and Mayu Iwatani, and obviously, this was changed when Tam was pulled from the card, just like the pre-show match was changed when May and Waka were pulled from the card. However, this ended up being a singles match, um, which ended in a time limit draw, a 30-minute time limit draw. Now... When it came up on the screen that the winner of this match would challenge at one of the dates, straight away, knowing that there's two dates at Sumo Hall, yep, (laughs) I knew we were heading for a draw, Matt. And that's okay. Sometimes, you know, when you have predictability, again, when I was reading, you know, when I got up that Saturday morning, when I read that, I'm like, ah, I kind of know what's happening. And then less than five minutes later, I got the result. And I was like... That's okay. If you kind of know where you're going, as long as it's a good journey, you know, sometimes it's not about the, uh, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And as long as you get a really good journey and goddamn for 30 minutes, not only that, probably even more than 30 minutes, just between the, the curtain to curtain, as we call it, just the entrances and the promo afterwards. So for 40 minutes or whatever it was, damn, I was entertained. This was so good. So good. It really was like, I've seen people say that this is a ma- early match of the year contender, obviously, with end of January. And I've seen it compared to, you know, the Osprey and um, Okada match from Wrestle Kingdom. I completely agree. I think this is an early match of the year contender. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The effort and intensity that both women brought. I mean, for that suplex spot alone, it's a match of the year contender. But, like, I've seen people not like the opening the grappling, and I thought it told a good story. Julia is still clearly shook from that encounter with prominence, and you can see before the bell goes that she's edgy, she's sort of looking around, she's nervous, and she needs that opening to calm herself down. And, I mean, it's also the first tangible chance she's had at the red belt. So, you know, she's bound to be that, you know, a little bit nervous. And, you know, if you want to be you know, even more granular about it. it. Also mirrors their previous three encounters. All three singles encounters they've had before this have started with extended grappling exchanges. And, you know, speaking of those three, we've had one win each and one time limit draw. So nothing to separate them. I mean, it was just sheer brutality, Matt. It was brilliant. And plus, you know, with the grappling, you you got to pace yourself. You're going 30 minutes. You know, you're going 30 minutes. You can't, you kind of, you have to pace yourself. But yeah, everything made sense. Uh, we go on and on about Mayu selling. And I will go every time that she's in a match or on this podcast, I will just constantly just bring that up. But she, I, we actually talked about it on the Patreon episode about Julia with uh, Saida, where she has her in the rings of Saturn. And she's tearing the tape off and punching at it. 
she kind of, it was kind of funny because I just, I watched that match maybe about a week or so ago and she kind of did the same thing to Mayu here. She's tearing off the tape. She has in the rings of Saturn. She's punching, punching, punching at it. And she's just getting, you know, more out of because Mayu's selling. Um, and kind of, let me hit the rewind button a little bit. First of all, the entrances, both these ladies came off looking like stars. Mayu has new gear. She looked like she had a Christmas bow on the back of her jacket. Uh, and then she throws it over the top rope two of the other members of stars and it, it seemed like that thing weighed about 80 pounds so god bless her uh <laughs> julia uh, you know again just coming she's always carries herself like a star but ever since she came back from her injury she's carrying herself as a main event star and maybe like the cornerstone of the company and julia's tan game it's absolutely on point here now i don't know if just because she's so tan and mayu looks like you know larry bird clear here but you clearly there's a there's a skin tone difference between the two of them so uh but I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic. But yeah, Mayu selling really good. They wind up going out to the floor. They tease tombstones back and forth. Eventually, Mayu hits the tombstone. Both of them are absolutely exhausted. They get in at about 18 and a half. They wind up striking back and forth. I and mean, the strikes just made sense. Everything was back and forth. And they start hitting each other with chaining German suplexes, just back and forth, back and forth. And they both did what I call the Kawada sell. And what that is, if you ever watch like a Kawada match, he'll take like a big forearm from Masao or something from Kabashi or a suplex like a German, and he'll try to fighting spirit up. And you think he's getting up, and he gets up, and by the time he gets up, he's exhausted, and he just collapses. And that's what the two of them do. And this crowd, again, it's a clap crowd. This crowd, when they did the, you know, the what I call the Kawada cell, is absolutely coming in glued. You know, I wish this wasn't a clap crowd. I wish we were, you know, post-COVID uh, for a thousand reasons. But this is one of them alone because I think this crowd would have been as loud as they were would have been absolutely even louder. Um, uh, I love the Mayu hitting the exhausted second rope moonsault, and then as the timer is counting down, she goes to the top rope to try to hit the one moonsault to finish her off, and she's stumbling and stumbling. Now in my head, I'm knowing okay, she's going to do the moonsault whether she hits it or not. I don't know, but she's selling it so well that it looks like she's going to fall. And then I'm thinking to myself, it would be so like Mayu Itani to fall off the top rope, hit her head off the apron, and then get counted out. Like, that would be, like, so <laughs> something that she would do. Because I was like, there's no way she's going to – there's no way. I mean, she's just selling exhaustion. And that – and the crowd gets even louder because they want – like, no, don't fall. No, you know, please hit the moonsault. Please don't fall. And then she hits the moonsault. She doesn't have enough to cover. Julia kicks out. And as the clock is running, well, Mayu winds up near on the way down, blitz Julia's chin open. In the last 10 seconds, you just see Julia with her half her face covered in her own blood, just headbutting the crap out of Mayu as the time expires. I mean, we talk about sometimes time limit draws are overdone. To me, I don't care as long as the match was good. This was four and three-fourth stars. And I think if I go back and watch this, I might bump it up to five stars. This was as good as it gets. And Rob, I have to ask you because you've seen way more of Julia than I have. For me, this was Julia's best match. Has she had a match better than this? Ooh, um, it's in a top three, definitely. I mean, you've got talking in ring. You've got Tam at uh, Budokan, which everyone seems to think is her best in ring match. So this is the one you compare it to. With the story, I think it's probably just the Tam one, but from a cold in-ring standpoint, this was tremendous. I mean, they just hit 
each other with absolutely everything. That exhaustive moonsault spot was absolutely tremendous. And there was, <laughs> we talked about Korobushi earlier in terms of Sayakamatani. He has that switch where he seems to just go from laughable, laughable goof to I'm going to kill a man. And Mayu did the exact same thing, and she looked into the camera. Uh, I think there was two very clear points. There was one when she was on the outside, and there's one where she's on the top rope. And she looked utterly demented it was great um there's a moment where um obviously they're trading tombstones on the outside like i said and um there's a moment where the referee gets knocked to his knees and julia uses him to propel herself into a missile drop kick into mayu loved that spot absolutely loved it popped huge for it um overall I mean, it's between four and a half and four and three quarters for me, to be perfectly honest. My one big question coming out of this match, and, you know, we ask the hard questions on this podcast. Um, Mayu goes for a suicide dive and Julia hits her with an umbrella. Where the fuck did that umbrella come from? Yeah, not only that, but I, I even wrote my notes. The ref kind of let, you know, that should have been disqualification. I'm, I'm Again, I'm a big <laughs> fan of, hey, you got to follow the rules. And, that, and Julia throwing the ref down. Hey, you can't touch, you know, the ref. So it's like I guess that was nitpicky to me, but at the same time, it's like it, this is for a high. This is a high stakes match. This isn't the opener. This isn't the second match. You have two of your biggest stars competing for a world title shot on your next pay per view. That um, I, I think is a new gangbuster number. So it's like you kind of excuse it there, but uh, you know sometimes I'm like, yeah, just kind of leave the ref alone. But I understand the you know the the dropkick spot off. I thought it was cool, but yeah, I I was I actually had to rewind. I'm like, what did she hit her with? I thought it was like the away to tie sign. That maybe they just left it there, but uh, I was like, "Yeah, where? Like, why was there an umbrella under the ring? Like, was there a leak in the ceiling right there?" <laughs> and like, yeah, that was kind of. I was just like, "Huh, yeah." It's kind of because the match was so good. I I didn't even write down the note, so I was like, "Oh, whatever. It is what it is." But yeah, you're right. Like, where did that shit come from? And those are the hard questions. So if you fans know where that umbrella came from, please, uh, you know, hit us up over on social media. We need to know, damn it. Unless it's a subtle sort of hint towards Kyrie Hojo. Maybe. Or, or so you have Abushi versus Saya. Maybe you have Julia versus Okada because he's the rainmaker. What about wow. that? There you <laughs> go. See, guys, who says that fancy booking goes too far? <laughs> There's some great limb work in this as well, especially in the middle of the match when Julia targets Mayu's arm and literally hits this hammerlock suplex that causes Mayu to land on her injured arm. It's just utterly fantastic she sells it brilliantly she sells so much brilliantly in this match and she throws a forearm with that injured arm and literally collapses with the pain and it's just little things like that that make a match so much more believable but also make a baby face so much easier to get behind is that selling you know that believability and i thought they managed this Absolutely tremendously. Uh, the, at the culmination of the match, Rossi says, because of the draw, both women will get a chance at the red belt at World Climax. The man doesn't even... Basically, the bell hits, and just as the bell finishes ringing, Rossi's up there with a the microphone. Like, he's he's there. He's not waiting for no man. Um, Julia offers Mayu the chance to choose her day first, as she is the senior competitor. And Mayu wisely chooses the second night so that she doesn't have to fight twice. She's an underrated thinker, Matt, I tell you. You kind of would have thought, because she, since she's the big baby face, you kind of would have thought she would have picked night one. Um, and I know that we, when we were discussing who's going to get the shots at one and, night one and two, I thought it would be Mayu and Tam. And you thought, well, no, Julia's going to get the shot at night two. Uh, so kind of almost spoils who's going to win at night one. 
Um, so it was kind of that. And I thought the promo, Julia, when she grabbed the microphone, she goes, you know, you made me bleed. What the hell, Mayu? And then Mayu grabs the microphone. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. And I don't think she should have said that because it's like, well, you're in a competition match. It's supposed to be, you know, let's, let's, let's try to keep a little kayfabe. It's like, hey, you got bloody. But Mayu, God bless her. It's just like, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's just too nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we've now got Mayu on night two, so the 27th. And that means that Julia will be um, fighting Suri on the 26th. Now, Obviously, I had my fancy booking and best laid plans and all that. That's now completely out of the window. Because for me, Julia has to beat... Uh, sorry, Siri has to beat Mayu to complete this legacy. And as that's a storyline they're going for, I just I can't see Siri not beating Mayu because that's where this whole thing started. <sighs> Do they go to another time limit draw with Julia? Or does Siri beat her outright? Is that where this whole DDM split is going to come from? You know, Julia's jealousy that Siri is still the red belt champion. She's defeated Julia for it. It could be. And then we see the split, you know, Suri, Micah, Himika, and then Tekla, um, Mariah and Julia. It could be the way we go. Um, it'll be an interesting couple of days that we can definitely. Um, here's, here's a thought. Okay. So now the, the supposed five on five promise versus DDM is on the second night of these shows at the end of March. Correct. It'll have to be. Yeah. So, okay, say Sherry beats Julia. She beats her with some sort of bit, you know, she's a lot of high-impact move where it impacts Julia's neck. Julia takes the pinfall on night two of these because of her hurt neck. And now she's just like, I would have won that match. You know, I embarrassed DDM. I embarrassed Stardom. And it's Sherry's fault. Now, and then you have Sherry. Obviously, this has to end with her beating Mayu. After that, where do you go? So I think Sherry beats Julia. She beats Mayu on night two. Momo comes out and challenges you. So you pretty much did everything you wanted to do with Sherry, and now you have Momo as the next challenger, and then you put the belt on Momo. So I think you so then, then this way you have all those stories going through, and then this way you can have a couple people chasing Momo and then start the DDM split as well. Because mm-hmm. I don't think you do this DDM split with Sherry as champion. I just think that's just kind of just too much. You know, you have, you have her as a title, it you know, a championship reign, and you're doing the split as well. I think that's that, that might be just too much. Hmm. Like I said, I said before in the previous podcast, it'll be interesting to see how long the reigns of Saya Kamatani and Vasuri go, because obviously we've had a couple of long reigns with the red belt, you know, between Mayu going 377 days and Utami going 409. So we've had two long reigns. Does Suri go the distance with it? Does she reach, you know, 300, maybe 400 days with it? Does Sayak Amatani reach 280 days, which both Tam and Julia managed? I think I think Tam managed 311 days, I think, if I'm off the top of my head. Or do they have shorter reigns? You know, it'll be interesting to see. This World Climax show is extremely intriguing and obviously we've kept saying Suri is champion which means we've spoiled the main event which was match seven the world of stardom championship match with Suri the champion defeating Mirai with the vermilion world in 26 minutes and 47 seconds now Matt I've seen a few people challenge the idea that it took Suri almost 27 minutes to defeat Mirai and that she then had to pull out her you know in quotation marks nuclear option to then defeat her. What what do you think about that? 
Well, first of all, if you're listening to this podcast, I think you should already know who won. So spoilers, but uh, <laughs> no, I thought this I thought this match was great for everything I kind of complained about about the uh, Wonder Stardom Championship match. This was the complete opposite. You needed Sherry to look like a killer, and she did. You know, she owned 60, 65% of this match, but the 35, 40 that Mariah got, it was comeback. And it was all good stuff. I mean, Shuri just lays right into it right from the get-go. You know, they, they're grappling. Those kicks in the beginning are just brutal. Uh, Mariah winds up taking a little bit of advantage. She hits a couple forearms that Shuri kind of doesn't sell, but it kind of makes sense why she didn't sell because she just laid into it with all these really stiff kicks. And the forearms that Mariah started throwing really weren't all that impactful. And I think Shuri even said something to her kind of like, you know, on the cuff, like, hey, hit me harder. And then once she started hitting her harder, then Shuri was, uh, went back on the cell. But I didn't mind the length of this match. I thought this match was excellent. It was everything I liked in wrestling. Hard-hitting, uh, believable, selling, really good pace. Uh, Mariah wind up hitting that hammerlock uh, Northern Lights that she almost killed Ruaka with uh, the week before. So now we know what it was supposed to look like. And then Shiri kicks out and then floats right over into the double wrist lock, which I was a huge, huge fan of. And then um, she winds up, you know, Shiri winds up fighting back with strikes. The missions does what she does best. And then Mariah fires back up with those left-handed lariats, which I've uh, talked about before. I'm such a big fan of. And I guess that's almost like her go-to, like Okada with the, uh, with the, with the drop kick or uh, Arisa with that uh, fancy flying knee that she used to do before she retired. It's kind of like her thing to kind of create separation. And then Sherry just needs to unload. Absolutely needs to unload everything. It kind of reminds me of like a Diaz Brothers fight where they're stalking somebody and they'll hit them with a combination and they're on the ropes, and they know that the fight is over, and the fans know the fight is over. It's just a matter of how many blows, how they're going to finish them. But Shuri winds up hitting a few buzzsaw kicks, oh, some horrendous uh, spinning back chops, and then the Vermilion Worlds for the finish. So I have no problem with uh, how long it took her to beat her, just because she owns 60% of this match. And I, it's, it's nice to kind of see her almost like nuclear finish in a title match. I think it maybe just means that much more. And again, for Sherry kind of dominating this match, Mariah winds up coming out looking better. I thoroughly enjoyed this match, the pacing, the psychology, the storytelling. I thought this was a really good way for Sherry's red belt defense to start. I gave this one four and a quarter. Man, we're on the same wavelength again. Four and a quarter from me as well. I mean, Mariah gave an outstanding account of herself. I mean, all of the selling inconsistencies that we bemoaned a couple of weeks ago, completely forgotten. In my opinion, her facials were absolutely fantastic. She's got a very expressive face like Himika does, and you can really read, especially as the match wears on, the desperation in her face. I thought, absolutely, absolutely tremendous. And going back to the point I previously made about, you know, how Suri had to go to that nuclear nuclear option, I think, to me anyway, like, Suri was almost taking the challenge of the untried Mirai too lightly. And then she realizes the time limit's approaching, and then she she needs to ensure that the match is over definitively, and that's why she goes straight to Vermilion, where she doesn't even attempt the Ruin or the Emerald Flosion variation that she has. So I thought that was quite... There was one particular moment that I absolutely loved, though, and it's where Mirai attempts to absorb a kick to the side... And she does catch it, but then the pain from the strike anyway is too much, and she collapses anyway, having caught... I just loved that little bit. And it was that little bit of selling that just really pushed this over the edge for me. Um, There was huge stiff strikes from both women. Some of those kicks from Suri, 
absolutely brutal. The shoulder tackles from Mirai, those lariats she was throwing, you know, absolutely fantastic. She even hit a spinning Vader bomb, which looked really cool. Um, but yeah, overall, you said about how you wanted Sire's white belt reign to open with an impact. And we sort of glossed over the fact that, you know, this wasn't exactly the highest profile person for the first of Suri's title defenses. But I think considering this is Mirai's second singles match in the company, I think she did an absolutely magnificent job. Yeah, it really upped her stock. It really, Sherry did a good job making what offense Mirai did look really good, but at the same time protecting herself as champion. And that's what you want a title match to do. And at the end of the day, um, everybody looks good. Everybody gets over. And the most important thing is you make that belt more important going, uh, you know, coming out than going in. And that at the end of the day, you know, when you have a world of any any major title, when it's on last on a pay-per-view in front of over a thousand people, that's what you wanted to do. And these two, I thought, absolutely knocked it out of the park. I thought everything made sense. Um, it was I thought it was solid, absolutely solid. I thoroughly enjoyed this match. Yeah, and, you know, we said about how Siori dominated 65% of this match, very much like a lion sort of stalking its prey. But she gave Mirai a lot. Like, Mirai hit the mirror mare shock, and Siori kicked out. So she was given a lot. You know, Siori was hit with the big move on the outside. So it wasn't like this was an extended squash by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the result was never in doubt, but you know, it was still an enjoyable match. And I think that's the hallmark of, you know, a good match is that even though the result is somewhat predictable, you still enjoy the match nevertheless. Very much like the semi-main where the time limit draw was very much, you know, sort of a given really when you consider it, but the match was still phenomenal. I thoroughly enjoyed this match. They did a great job. If this is the trajectory Mirai's on, Good grief, we're looking at a future World of Stardom champion, aren't we? You know, I wrote, kind of wrote down is, obviously she's, you know, I always say injury because you never know what happened or COVID. But when you're going to go into the five-star coming up here in a handful of months, you're going to see maybe a rematch here, a match with Micah, a matchup with Hazuki, a matchup with Momo. I mean, the possibilities are are absolutely endless. And I think it's just her stock's just going to go up. And this was, again, not only was this a great place setter for the championship run of Shiri, but this was something that we looked at. We weren't sure how, how Mariah was going to come out of this. And I haven't heard from anybody or talked to anybody that didn't think Mariah's stock, you know, doubled um, coming out of this matches going in. So that is the end of the first stardom pay-per-view of the year. Just a couple of things to note before we leave you. Um, the press conference for the Cinderella journey in Nagaoka, which is the next big show on the 23rd of February, which I believe is a Wednesday. Um, that is tomorrow as we record. So it'll be the Friday. So of course we won't be able to uh, talk about it because we've already recorded. We're recording on the third. However, the first three matches have been announced for that card. Obviously, this sort of ruins the results for Corican. So if you haven't watched the Corican show or you haven't seen the results of the Corican show, then just 
turn us off now. We won't be offended. We'll see you guys later. Thank you very much. You know, we'll be back next week. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of time to pause. If you don't mind, keep listening. Um, so again, 23rd of February, Cinderella Journey in Nagaoka. Again, as with me and Matt said, there's no red belt match for this card, but there is a high-speed title match, which is going to be the champion Starlight Kid versus Azumi. Um, we've got the Goddesses of Stardom title match, which is the champions FWC, Hazuki and Kogama, taking on Yunagi Sayaka and Mina Shirakawa. And then what we assume is going to be the main event. It might not be, but at the moment, it looks like it's going to be the main event, which is the wonder of Stardom championship match between Sayaka Matani and Natsupoi. Um... Matt, of those three matches, is there anything that surprises you? Anything that, you know, is extremely tasty? Anything that's a little bit disappointing? What are your initial thoughts? No, nothing at all. And I didn't know about Asaya Natsupoy. That is that Natsupoy's first white belt shot? No, she had one in July last year against Tam. Very oh, good match. Against, Underrated. Against against Tam. Yeah, that's right. Um all three of those matches should be really, really good. And I, I that's a point inside. I think their, you know, styles makes fights and they have similar styles. Obviously the one I'm looking to looking forward to the most is the match that we've seen the most. And that's a Zoomy and style like it. I mean, but now you have a completely different d- dynamic going into it where Zoomy's going to be more pissed off because Starlight kid was the puppet master pretty much at taking away, you know, her friend in, uh, in Momo. So that adds a new wrinkle towards it. And, you know, we talked about how, FWC, they need like an impactful win, like no roll up, like an impactful win. And I think their match with Mina and Unagi is going to be really, really good. But I think this is where they get it here. I think this is where they get it here. So uh, all three of those matches on the same show, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm assuming we'll probably get some tag stuff with Julia, Mayu, Sherry, um, you know, some stuff with the bigger factions. But the, these three matches to kind of tail end the show, I think it's going to be really, really good. And can't wait to watch it. And with that, Let's call it there. So thank you so much for listening, guys. We really, really, really do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean. We are physically everywhere. You can go and check out our website, www.podmania.co.uk. We've got all the podcast archives there as well as our match rating archive as well. Um, You can find us on Twitter at at the stardom cast of course if you want to join our patreon then it is patreon.com forward slash the stardom cast we cannot thank you enough for helping us in that way um you can talk to me on twitter at at real rob goodwin matt where can they find you search me out on instagram and or the twitter matt turner of and i really appreciate all the positive comments it seems like every other time i pick up my phone and look at social media we get some positive comments about the podcast so uh, we greatly appreciate it oh hugely thank you ever so much guys again you can go and subscribe to our youtube channel if you prefer it in the visual realm and of course our facebook page the stardom cast thank you guys for listening we'll be back next week same time same place so until then see you guys again soon Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.